Coming to you live this morning from the Mushroom Kingdom, WKBAG Studios, Warrior K. Rule, Bowser, Andros Gann, and this is Video Games, a comedy show, the only video game podcast that is funny at all. Join the Radio Morning Zoo Tycoon crew as we explore topics such as video game characters who eat stuff, and sure, Kratos is a father, but is he the ultimate daddy? Video Games, a comedy show, is a part of the Schmidtcast family of podcasts, so subscribe for a brand new episode every Monday morning. You can find it anywhere podcasts are heard. That's Video Games, a comedy show. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, blowing like a breeze. Country roads, take me home. Let's go, mountain mama, take me home. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to people getting owned on... Uh, <laughs> on oh, almost by, made in it. the dentist chair. <laughs> almost landed the plane on that one. What do you think of that, Jeremy? I, I've been writing, as I told you right before we hit record, mm-hmm. I, uh, I wrote, and I'm, I could not have talked it up more, I wrote just an incredible intro... Um, that was good. I I, 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 this is part like of your. Me. This is part of your. Uh, what is it? Constitution fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My final destination constitution uh, <laughs> mashup fiction. <laughs> yeah, it was actually the Gettysburg Address. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. ever heard of it? I have. Well, I'm I'm more a fan of the porno version, which is the Gettysburg Undress. Okay. Yeah. I'm more of a fan of the uh, Italian version, mm-hmm. the Spaghettisburg address. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eric, will these riffs ever stop? Tune in to find um, out. You know, they will stop eventually after this one. I'm more of a fan of the Brookline, Brook, Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, version, the Lynettisburg address. Oh, Folks, that's good. Lynetti is a character on that show, I <laughs> Folks, think. Folks, yeah. I'm, uh, should be. Should should be, if my memory serves me right. You know, Eric, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that's a show that I've watched maybe two or three times. It's ever stuck with me. I, I've never been like excited to watch it. No, I don't know. It's one of those shows. It's there's a lot of very funny people that write for it, mm-hmm. especially right now. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those shows. I only watched a bunch of it because I wrote a spec script of it. That's uh, right. Which, I was there. Um, you know, in retrospect, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> in retrospect, you wasted a bunch of time and money and money, Jeremy. How you doing? I'm doing great, pal. Just got back from the city of Austin. The great city of Austin was doing some comedy out there for the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival. Shout out. Uh, we did two shows. One show was good. One show was bad. Hey. <laughs> what made the bad show bad? Um, You know, it's just like sketch comedy. People want to try to make it a science, and it's just not. Like Sometimes audiences are going to love your shit sometimes they're not gonna love it uh sometimes you're gonna take your shit to austin and you know in one show they're gonna laugh at a bunch of stuff and then in the next show they're gonna laugh at the opposite of what the first crowd laughed at 
and sure. that's just kind of how it is you know it, it was it was very strange you know after after that after that little tour we did i was like you know what i just don't think there's just i think you just do what you think is funny and you do you know you do the best the best job you can and then you know you let you let the fates decide you let death decide <laughs> the great equalizer death <laughs> <laughs> Now, Jeremy, I, I I didn't see the show and neither of the shows, uh, but I'm gonna say I thought they both went great. Thanks, pal. Um, and, I, uh, I, I, I <laughs> go ahead. No, uh, go on. You go. You know, I mean, I I don't know much about Texas. You're from that state. I'm not. I've mm. never even been there. But I always thought it was weird that there's just one man there named Austin who just is a city. Right. Yeah, that is that is weird. Uh, it, and when you perform in Austin, you're like, it's really you're performing in Austin's house, <laughs> which can be a crapshoot. You know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's just his family there, and it really sucks. You know, because all they like is perv comedy. And then uh, sure. the, the next night, it's all of his buddies, his drinking pals, and they're more acclimated to like the SNL type style, uh, political raunch humor. Right. Uh, did any of your sketches end with uh, Pete Davidson coming out and saying the word hamburgers? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No, we couldn't get a hold of Pete. He was uh, <laughs> off off gallivanting, you know, and which I actually thought was pretty interesting. The trip ended up being way more about vacationing and seeing the city than it did about doing comedy. And I realized, yeah. you know, I should just be taking vacations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's what mo- that's what normal people do. Right. They don't have to like do work in order to justify going to another city. They can just go there. Sure. So, Jeremy, uh, I'm I'm feeling good now. Listeners of the show know that I'm I'm one of the very cool people, and, and when I say very cool, I mean very very cool people mm-hmm. who uh, mm-hmm. likes the band Fish. <laughs> I saw him this weekend. I got my fix. You saw him I saw, live. I saw him twice. Down in Denver. Holy shit. It was my final hurrah. It's a little uh, fish reference. Uh, Dad Wears Glasses might get that. You know, Dad Wears Glasses uh, is a fish fan. I totally to believe be. that. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that Dad Wears Glasses likes fish, and I believe that you, ha- you two have that in common. Me, however, the only fish I like is a nice cod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Jeremy, we're talking what? We're talking uh, we're all dishing. dogs go to we're heaven. We're about this episode, or wait, what? Oh, this is the one of the final destination ones. Okay, Jeremy and I also do a all dogs go to heaven podcast for uh, <laughs> children in Japan. It's all, it's in all Japanese, right? Well, it's it's subtitled, so um, you know, it's it's us yeah, speaking so- English, and then there's so the subtitles are in Japanese. Yeah, and Japanese children sit there and read along. <laughs> to our pod audio podcast right yeah i um i i okay so final destination one we did last week i liked the film but i was looking i was not necessarily looking forward to doing the rest of the series i thought we had made a mistake (laughs) i thought we had let twitter decide too much of our fate for us uh a little call back there to the fd franchise but you know i after watching final destination 2 I'm kind of excited for three. <laughs> you know what? I'm a little bit. 
I was a little bit worried that you were going to say uh, sort of the opposite of that, where this one was just going to crush your um, crush your will to go on. No, this one heightens appropriately. I think. I think. It, I think. You know, they're killing kids in this film, which I like. You know, they're doing. Uh, they're doing dent dental uh, dental. Uh, what would you call that? Like a a dental. Uh, 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 bam, uh, bam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I know what you mean. Uh, they're bringing characters back. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? We yeah. get to see uh, Clear Rivers again. Oh, uh, the titular Clear but, Rivers. Allie but Larder. I think I think this one, this installment. Uh, I don't know much about the fifth movie, but I think this installment is kind of just like known as. Maybe the worst one. Sure, it's it's definitely more of the same. Although they do have a big log in it, which I like, but it is they a do lot, have a big log. It is more of the same. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it is trying to ape, I guess, off of the direct success of the first film, right? Yes, although it did. It, I think it came out like three or four years later. I right, think right. But I mean, as a, as a film, the plot down to the plot, it functions just the same. Now I'm not. I don't know about three and four, and five. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do know that like this film felt. Or wait, is there just four? There's just four of these. There's five. There's, There's five. five. Great. Okay. Yeah, I do know that this one felt like the f- the first one rehashed again. It was like to me, Child's Play two was like this also. Where it, it the plot felt like felt very similar. I mean, sure they were in literally different locations, but it like it it people functioned the same way, relationships functioned the same way. It felt like a rehash. Whereas three Child's Play three was just like batshit insane, completely different. You know, right? I I think. You know, actually, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say anything about about. Do not speculate uh, whether you could. or not. Spoil it for me or the rest of the yes. fans of this show. <laughs> exactly. No one dies in the rest of the series. Jesus, are you kidding say. me? That is a departure. <laughs> no, that is a departure. Uh, no the the third the third fourth and fifth movie are all about uh, people giving birth rather than. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so we get to see Devin Sawa going to labor, which is a little weird, but that is know, weird. It's a, yeah. It's a junior situation though, right? So it's a Danny DeVito, yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger situation. So, and that's funny. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall we get into this, um, this sequel, this, this, this two, this dose, so to speak on the franchise. Jeremy, if I'm a chip mm-hmm. and the <laughs> background information on this film is a, a bowl of dip, mm-hmm. pick me up and give me a scoop, my man. Excellent. Okay. Well, final destination two is a 2003 American supernatural horror film directed by David R. Ellis. Now I can't remember. Did David R. Ellis direct the first final destination? I believe. I believe not. No. I believe no, not. No, actually, I can't remember the reasoning behind it, but most of the creative team uh, from FD1 is not was not present for this movie. Yeah, and uh, David R. Ellis would go on to direct The Final Destination in 2009, mm. but uh, for this film, he directed... Uh, but for this film, he did direct, and the screenplay was written by J. Mackie Gruber, which I, I think is very close to McGruber, and I like it. <laughs> yeah. And Eric Brest, based on the story by Gruber, 
Bress and series creator Jeff Reddick. Is a sequel now, to the, Yes. I from my understanding, I think I looked them up and they they wrote the butterfly effect. Oh, are they are they a team? That? Are they a team of I uh, think so, team yeah. of boys? A boys team. I I believe so. And if you think about like the logic and like the premise of uh this move the final destination movies and the butterfly effect, <laughs> they're like kind <laughs> of the same thing in a way. Yeah, they're not too dissimilar in that it is about controlling one's future, being able to see one's future and go back in time to sort of stop things from happening. Which, you know, you don't think about the Final Destination franchise as a time travel film, but it kind of is in a way. You know, there's a reality where the butterfly effect might have never even come out. (laughs) (laughs) Just something to think about. This is just something to think about. Uh, This is um, after the the financial success of Final Destination 1. New Line Cinema contacted Reddick uh, regarding plans for a sequel. Since the original film's crew was unavailable, New Line replaced most of the production team. I love that they were just unavailable. Perhaps some ill-fated um, end came to the production crew after they made the first one. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying they all died in a, in a plane crash and or and or uh, huge car pile. Up. Huge vehicular man's uh, vehicular uh, men slaughter, I call it. Uh, so filming, I call it woman slaughter because I'm progressive. That's nice. I call it them slaughter because I pronouns. Okay, you're more woke. <laughs> you're filming, more took, woke filming took place in Vancouver and Okanagan Lake. Uh, the film was released January 31st, 2013, as well as on DVD July 22nd, 2003. Which includes commentaries, deleted scenes, documentaries, back to those sweet, sweet documentaries that we know and love from the first film, and Mm -hmm. videos. Now, this film received mixed reviews from critics, in which negative assessments sorted the film as silly and illogical, and begins with the same flawed premise. (laughs) I love that that is a quote. End quote begins with the same flawed premise of its precursor while positive evaluations eulogize the film as a real jolter for horror fans recognizes the close relationship between fright and laughter and surprisingly good fun for the current crop of horror films the, f- the film grossed 46 million domestically and 43 million overseas earning 90 million internationally making it the lowest grossing film of the final destination franchise but still i would say that's pretty good because that is well over double in fact, that's well over triple the budget of this film, which was $26 million. Uh, it was also nominated for... Yeah, that's for, surprising. Yeah. That's like... Because Child's Play... I wrote, like, Child's Play took a dip, like, right after two, basically. Oh, my God, yes. And it just kind of, like, never recovered. I guess Bride was maybe a little bit of a success, but... But, yeah, that's I, yeah. interesting. I feel like it's probably similar with most horror movie franchises where they just kind of, like, peak at the beginning and then just slowly get less and less successful. Right. And while I considered uh, Child's Play to be a more interesting franchise than Final Destination, personally, um, Child's Play, by all accounts, should have been a one-and-done film. Like, it was a smash success in that first iteration, and it never really did as well as that first film did. Like, it never quite matched the budget versus the return. Um they were they were trying to cash in on and make that thing a franchise and it never even though we have like nine films we have more films in that franchise than in final destination 
it never really did that well. It probably, you know, from a money yeah. side, shouldn't have been a franchise. I'm so glad that it was, but it probably shouldn't have been. Now this, Jeremy, like, yeah. Who do you think would win in a fight? Chucky or the concept of fate? Ooh, I would love to see Chucky running from fate in these sort of like almost, yeah, in these Final Destination type ways where like he sees like the the eight ball on the pool table like fly up and hit the button which somehow swings the kayak across the room and he's like trying to dodge it while somehow figuring out a way to like voodoo chant death away (laughs) yeah yeah i would love to see after all of these like brutal ways that chucky has killed people to just see him like slip on a uh a puddle of water and accidentally (laughs) hang himself with a shower (laughs) Yeah, like a shower thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's it, it would be it would be quite interesting to just throw Chucky into this universe, wouldn't it? Um, to be honest with you, man, any of these, any any uh, monster, uh, put them in, put them in Final Destination. See how they see how they like it. Jeremy, we got to cut this out, my man, and uh, make it ourselves. Movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. <laughs> I mean, Me and Eric are a regular. Uh, Jay uh, Mackie Gruber and Eric Bress, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Jason Voorhees slips on a banana peel and his head gets uh, caught in a panini press. <laughs> <laughs> now that's good. Uh, Eric, 2003, what were you doing, pal? 03, uh, I believe this was eighth grade for me. I was, uh, you know, I went to Catholic school, Jeremy. I was, uh, 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 I, I, uh, was about to go to public school. I was, uh, mm. what the hell was going on in eighth grade? I can't even remember what I was up to. I was skateboarding. Uh, I had learned to play guitar at this point, so I was skateboarding, playing guitar. Very cool, yeah. Um, for fun. I never played sports. Around this time, for fun, my friends and I would uh, just spend our Saturdays walking around, going into local establishments like Best Buy and Toys R Us and just hang out until we got kicked out by someone. Love that. Um, you know, we would hang out a lot around the, uh, and these don't exist as much anymore, but the there was like a used CD, DVD, and game store uh, okay. that was called Take Two. And I could spend hours there. And you would spend like $30 and get just a bunch of movies. I love um, this. So that actually that that I guess this was maybe around the time and this was around the time where there was like uh LimeWire or I was definitely illegally like stealing things from the internet like movies and stuff. Yeah. Um and this is probably when I was discovering Kevin Smith and and Mallrats. Um so yeah, I guess this was a pretty uh important time for me discovering like weird shit that probably corrupted my brain what about you Jeremy? <laughs> i was gonna say almost the exact same thing um but worded completely differently better i would say but worded better uh no i'm kidding i would uh <laughs> 2003 was definitely a year of self-discovery for for me I, this is the year i found cinema and started calling it cinema and started getting my ass kicked for calling it cinema <laughs> um, I, I feel like this was a big year for like DVD and, uh, special edition box set releases of things. I remember going to a place called Moody Tr- movie trading company and just buying used copies of like the DVDs just starting to fill out my collection. I remember I had to hide them in a trunk underneath my bed to, um, for my parents. So they just had no idea okay. that I like, like was like collecting like 
you know, like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson double disc box set, <laughs> like uh, versions of their films. Because if they knew I had Boogie Nights, they would have spanked my boogie butt. If you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, my uh, and I was 16 at the time, so um, I did like it. Uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring comes out. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, Cold Mountain, Lost in Translation, Mystic River. Both The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolution come out in 2003. Did you remember them releasing the same year? No. Um, no, I didn't actually. That's kind of insane. Yeah, I think they were trying to do a thing where they release part of it like like the reloaded at the beginning of the year and then revolutions towards the end of the year yeah isn't that weird gotta be like one of the quickest uh turnarounds on a sequel yeah um so and and uh let's see old boy came out big fish 21 grams american splendor school of rock the hulk and uh you know as i look through as i sift through 2003 um this was a bad year for film. I'm just going to say it. Like, uh, it's I think not, I'm listening to it. It's not that good. It's not that good. And, you know, I just find it to be so interesting that this was a year that I kind of came into loving film, loving cinema. But I did it in a year that actually nothing was nothing that good was coming out. You know, we had like The Last Samurai, uh, Monster, Par- uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh came out love actually uh you know like again these are serviceable films matchstick men you know serviceable but i wouldn't call any one of them great um the station agent's pretty good house of a thousand corpses is a very interesting film to to have come out ever to be honest with you sure uh but yeah you know it's not it's not uh this is not none of these are home runs in my estimation you know, Kill Bill, maybe Lost in Translation, maybe, but that's about it. Yeah, did we? T- we didn't talk about. I actually, I, I think I, I can't remember if this was on a bonus episode. Which, by the way, if you're not listening to our weekly bonus episode, oh, five bucks a month, Patreon.com/slash Eric and Jeremy. Yes, we've got some great topics. Uh, we've been covering, uh, covering some weird like Tales from the Crypt, uh, Tales from the Crypt episode. We did one about. Uh, 2019 in film so far it was a great great conversation um but i think i talked on one of those episodes about how i had never seen lost in translation and i was considering going because there was a an art house cinema near me in denver uh screening it and uh i ended up going jeremy oh you did what'd you think of the film i gotta say i I'm not uh, I'm not a huge Bill Murray fan. Oh. Uh, Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies, though. Um, I will say, I think this is my favorite uh, Bill Murray uh, performance. Same, yeah, absolutely same. Oh, great! I wasn't sure if like people would react to that as being uh, insane. I know he was. Was he nominated for an Oscar or something? He was, like and I would say this yeah. is one of the biggest uh, examples of like someone being famously robbed of an Academy Award. Uh, Bill Murray should have definitely won that Oscar, and they give it to Sean Penn for Mystic River instead. Who, you know, Sean Penn isn't bad in that film, but he's no Bill Murray in Lost in Translations, and uh, and overall, Lost in Translation is just a, a, a cut above Mystic River in almost every way. 
you know um plus i'm just not a big fan of giving sean penn oscars anymore like i don't <laughs> yeah. i don't yeah. i don't want him to have them literally but yeah uh and then it, it was really sad i feel like bill murray you know he didn't win the oscar for lost in translation and he kind of you know for the next like decade i i really felt like in his career he kind of you know chased after that dragon and never really got it and now you get kind of the feeling that he might not probably ever you know, win uh, yeah. uh, Best Actor. I think a, a film that came out very close to Lost in Translation was Broken Flowers, which was the Jim Jarmusch film. And that was another okay. And that was another situation where, you know, I think he also might have been nominated for that. Maybe he wasn't, but, I mean, it, it was definitely him trying to do another serious role, sort of in the same vein as uh, Lost in Translation. Yeah. Lost in Translation, just one more thought on it, because I really, really liked it, was... Uh, there's like these movies. Um, I think you know a similar thing is uh, what's the Richard Linklater Before Sunrise is like a yes. similar thing where mm-hmm. both of those movies capture the feeling of like. And listen, I haven't been in this situation too often, but I have been where you like meet someone where you're on a trip. Oh sure. Uh, and you kind of like have a little like fling, and, mm-hmm. and 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 then for whatever circumstances you like never see each other again like you're like your time together is limited yeah uh and i thought like i love when a movie just kind of captures like a specific feeling like that so well and uh lost in translation did that for me although i don't i'm interested to know like do people think that movie's problematic now because bill murray's so much older than uh uh why am i blanking on her name Scarjo. Yeah. Uh, so I think my take on Final Destination, uh, sorry, not Final Lesson Translation, <laughs> when uh, closer to its release was that, yes, it was that that is sort of the whole bit of the film. The bit, like, it, like that's, it's kind of weird. It would be weird for that to be controversial only because that is kind of the point of the film. It's like, oh. it's like this really old guy and this young woman are having a bit of a fling. But I think what makes the film so fun is that it never becomes sexual. It never becomes about romance, really. It is it is like right. two people, two souls who kind of find each other in these weird moments of their life who just have this like really fantastic night out in Japan together. And I think that's why, it, that's how the movie is saved from it being sort of a creepy or inappropriate <laughs> Jeremy I gotta say you didn't see the you didn't see the version I saw oh god here we go I was <laughs> watching it at the uh, the horny theater in Denver oh sure well that's where yeah, they recut films yeah three giant X's in front of the sign <laughs> I don't know what that meant but yeah I think I mean I think that you know I haven't seen the film in a long time I don't know if it would age well um, there's also a bit of like cultural appropriation that might come into question these days about you know two sure. white americans going to another com- uh, country just to have like a fun uh, a fun time almost at the country's expense I, I, but i'm not i'm not sure you know i haven't seen it in a while uh but i do think that um that you know for me at least at the time when i saw it it, it was really more about a film about connection more than it was about romance or age or anything like that it was like it was like uh, these two people need each other in this time although we do not know what uh bill murray says to scarlett johansson at the end of the film because he does whisper something into her ear and we're not sure yeah 
what it is. I was assumed it was I'm your dad. Yeah, I was assumed it was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been erect this whole time. <laughs> Um. So, anyways, so, back to uh, back to dishing about destination. Yeah, because there's this no isn't, smooth transition no. you can do there. This isn't lipping about Lost. This is, uh, <laughs> which is actually our show about the show Lost. Uh, I, I meant to say this isn't uh, talking translation. This is uh, dishing about destination. So, um, so yeah, uh, a couple of weird, fun side side stories. A little, a little scoop behind the making of this film. Apparently, real logs were tested for the crash sequence at the beginning of the film, but they didn't bounce enough. <laughs> so, in the film, the logs are CGI. Yeah, I can't imagine they bounced at all. <laughs> I, I've never seen a giant log like fall in that context on concrete, but. They just don't seem like they would bounce. They seem like they would just hit the ground and like roll a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I bet they bounced a little bit because circles, but maybe not. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's. Uh, I think it's interesting that they thought maybe this could work, and they tried it out a couple times and decided, no, no, we're going to do CG, which honestly... That CG looked good as hell. I totally believe that was wood. It did, yeah. Uh, the accident on the highway was based on a 125-car pileup on the on Interstate 75 in Ringgold, Georgia, on March 14, 2002. So, interestingly enough, based on a real thing. Uh, John Denver's Rocky Mountain High, which is not <laughs> Country Road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we really, we really, we really, uh, we really biffed, biffed that it. one. Yeah. Uh, is the song that accompanies most of the deaths in the original film. It plays in the elevator that Eugene and Nora enter and in the dentist's office. So, uh, yeah. There's a sticker that says Road Trip on it. The T is covered. So, it reads Mm -hmm. Road Rip, hinting at the opening accident about to happen. That's an... I I like when films do that. Uh, In Magnolia, famously, they have uh, the number 320 on a lot of different um, like wipe off boards, chalkboards, uh, anytime a number, it's like a phone number or anything, the number 320 comes up because it's referring to Exodus 320, which is the verse in the Bible that talks about the plague of frogs. Right. So, and that movie with uh, Jim Carrey, <laughs> the, the number 23. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, yeah. It's full of that stuff. Full of it. Full of it's all 23s. Yeah. And Michael Jordan's in it. Yes. He's not in it. <laughs> The Stony Brook Institution Sanatorium that Clear places herself is the same sanatorium used in the opening of Halloween Resurrection. That one's that little bit of trivia nice. is for you, my man. I'm I'm a fan of that piece of trivia. That's great. Yeah, uh, in the original Final Destination, many of the characters are named after black and white horror film stars or directors. In this film, Kimberly Corman is named after Roger Corman. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Um, let me see if there's anything else I want to announce. Uh, a pigeon breaks through the window and gets into the waiting room of the dentist. According to some superstitions, a bird being inside a building means that someone in the building will die. Yeah. 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 Does, uh, does that guy like, does someone walk in under a ladder, that kid? Uh, I yeah, I mean, well, there is a kid who dies by ladder, death, death by ladder. Oh, yes, yes. But, um, which I think is a very funny. I wish the yeah. whole film was just like bad luck deaths. 
<laughs> yeah. It's like someone's wearing someone, white after Labor Day, and <laughs> uh, yeah, someone opens an umbrella inside, and it like just chops their head clean off. <laughs> it gets caught in a ceiling fan, and they just like get flung around. Uh, Jeremy, you know what I just realized is I I now live in Chicago, and we all know that what movie takes place in Chicago? Uh, Child's Play. That's right. Yeah, you're gonna be in uh, uh, in Chucky City. And I did move here because of that. And also, I, you know what I'm gonna have to do, my man, is I'm gonna have to do like a little walking tour of, of all the Child's Play locations. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I know he gets on like the L train at one point. Uh, he goes to that one like seedy area. Oh uh, yeah, and he does. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I I just thought of an idea for a business. Uh, anyway, go on. Oh yeah, no, that's <laughs> uh, great, very great. So um, let's get into the plot of the film, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, so here we go. This is Final Destination Two, years two thousand three. Assuming we've already seen the first one, lights up. We get another one of the longest <laughs> intros yeah what is with these? in history i will <laughs> say i will i will i did write a note down that i like this intro a little better than the first one um, sure i can't really tell you why i i guess i just like the imagery better the other i think i think the other images in the first film felt a little bit more stock photo ish um little getty images ish but um this one felt a little bit more unique, maybe, to the film. I like the spider. Uh, but, yeah, it was incredibly long and uh, really, really not necessary. I don't know why. Uh, you know, most films should just do cold opens. But, you know, then again, I'm thinking maybe we've left the uh, the, the pre-roll, the intro, the, um, the credit roll uh, intro in the dust. I haven't seen a film with one of those that was made recently in a long time. Yeah, I like uh, I like what they do in Midsommar where, where you just show the title right away and then we never see any other, like, credits or anything. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to be said about, like, I want to see the film first before I get excited about who did what on the film. Like, like first prove that you're a good film. And then... And then if I want to stick around and see like the cast and crew and the names of stuff, like I feel like you've earned it at that point. I don't think you've earned credits at the beginning of a film, but that's just like a weird thought I had while watching this. Um, so yeah, exactly one year after the explosion of flight 180, college student Kimberly Corman named after Roger Corman. Need I remind you? is heading to Daytona Beach, Florida for spring break yeah. with her friends, Shayna McClank, Dano Estevez, and Frankie Whitman. And Eric, you're going to want to remember those names. Just kidding. You don't want to remember them. They all die within the first 20 minutes of the film. Uh, while waiting on the entrance ramp to Route 23, she has a premonition of a deadly pileup caused by a semi carrying logs. Um... Now, this uh, scene is probably the most famous scene in the film. 
Yeah. When you yeah, say, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what is your take on the film so far up till this point? And like having seen like the big, I don't know the big, what do you, what would you call this? The big, uh, the cum shot, so to speak of final destination <laughs> too. Like, what do you, Jeremy, what, Jesus. What, <laughs> what do you think of it? Uh, I love it. I, I just real want real quick. I forgot to, uh, at the beginning, um, I just want to mention how absurd uh, the the main character's friend's friend is to her dad. Do you remember that when she's like picking her up to go on to go to Daytona Beach and mm-hmm. she's just making all these like blatant sexual <laughs> like yeah. comments and she's stuff? She's like condoms, whips and chains, you know, all the stuff us girls like. Just kidding. I'll I'll watch after her. And the dad's like, "Oh, great. That gives me a lot of uh, faith." Like, you can tell that this movie is, uh, yes, it's a horror movie Mm -hmm. and, like, a thriller, but it's, they're also, like, very aware that their audience is just, like, American Pie fan teenagers, you know what I mean? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, a lot of the comedy is, like, in that vein, and we get more of that, like, later on. But as far as the log scene goes, this is the one that I was talking about in our first episode um, that is one of a handful of final destination scenes that has like affected my daily life. Oh, sure. Um, like if I, if I am driving behind, uh, a a car carrying uh, like a big truck carrying anything that's like open, Mm -hmm. um, whether it be logs or sometimes you'll see like big metal pipes, um, or even like a pickup truck where there's just tons of stuff in it and something could fall out. I always, drive i always like change lanes um right yeah no it's i mean i think people have that that knee-jerk reaction to being behind a semi uh naturally but this film definitely has had also affected me in my driving um you know because i think this was the year i started driving actually was 2000 yeah this is uh and it, it, the intensity of this scene, by the way, like I've seen this movie a couple times mo- when I was a teenager and it, the scene like worked for me really well still. And I think the reason that like this scene and, uh, you know, there's a scene in part three that we'll talk about, um, that does this for me where it just taps into such like a basic human, uh, fear that I have. And sometimes they're like fears that you have that are just like unique to you. Right. Sometimes they're like very universal. Like, I don't know what, what this, what category this goes under, but there's a part coming up where a character sticks his hand in a sink Mm -hmm. and you just assume it's going to get, uh, mangled by the garbage disposal. Yeah. And that doesn't end up happening. But just the very like thought of it is like the same same the same feeling that I have when I'm actually like reaching in a garbage disposal to try and pick something out of it. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. No, so like I felt when I was in when I when they're driving and like you get all these like good misdirects and stuff too, and little like clues like the little kid like miming a car crash to her and yes. like, all this like weird shit oh and the uh, uh biker lady uh pulling up her shirt <laughs> yeah <laughs> you yeah. know a misdirect uh we thought i gotta it was go gonna to daytona be, beach my man i know we thought this movie was gonna be horny turns out it's uh a, a, a thriller instead um I also did like, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, to your point, Eric, I also agree that like when Final Destination is working and when it's at its best, 
It is using uh, situations that are very, I don't, I hate using this word because it's very overused, but like they're visceral. They have like a visceral connection to very common fears that we all have, right? Or things that we've thought about just like living our daily lives. That is why the sort of Rube Goldberg machine that happens in the first two films with the the, the bathroom death and the kitchen death of Miss Luton mm-hmm. uh, works so well for me. Whereas I think sort of some of the third act, um, or I guess what would be the end of the second act deaths, don't uh, or or you know like action set pieces don't work as well because these are all things that would never really happen, right? It's just sort of like you know a uh, you know a, a power line smashing into a, a above ground pool and you know there's a lot. It's like uh, it's not as um, it's not to me it's not as ever as exciting as just a little pool of water forming in the bottom of your bathroom floor, which would cause a person to slip and fall. So, sure. um, so that's why I think in this film. Whereas I love the big set piece at the beginning, I'm a huge fan of this scene, especially the log going right through the, uh, <laughs> like the windshield of the car. Um, I, I happen to just love that dentist sequence so much more because it's setting up something that is we've all thought about, we've all been so afraid of, which is like, you know, you got a, a sharp utensil in someone's mouth. What if you slip and accidentally stab somebody? And to me, right. the pain of that is like uh, is a lot worse than just the idea of getting smashed by a giant uh, piece of glass or whatever it is that kill ends up actually killing that kid. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so she sees the premonition. It's uh, pretty exciting. Some of the cool ways people die in this scene are yes, again, log bouncing into the windshield of a person's car. We've got a motorcycle man who falls and then is like sort of cut in half by the motorcycle. Uh, we have uh, our guy in our in our uh, a, fi- a firebird, I believe, is the, the car he's in. He gets burned alive. Uh, we get the alcoholic um, uh, alcohol, like a beer truck driver, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smashing yeah. into things. Uh, and I think that is the car that ends up finally smashing into uh, Kimberly's car as she is upside down, uh, trapped by her own seatbelt that she put on so diligently earlier in the sequence. I think that this is a good, this is a very, this is a very well done. It's an affecting scene. Um, and it does prey on uh, a kind of fear that we all have, but it's a premonition. Just like in the first film, we kind of get that, like that camera PO where it goes out of her eye, you know, and like back to an extreme close up where, for whatever reason, Kimberly was able to see the future. So she stalls her car on the entrance ramp, preventing several people from entering the highway, including a lottery winner, Evan Lewis, yeah. widow, yep. Nora Carpenter, and her 15-year-old son, Tim, businesswoman, Kat Jennings, stoner, Rory Peters, pregnant, Isabella Hudson, high school teacher, Eugene Dix, and deputy marshal, Thomas Burke. While Officer Burke questions Kimberly, the pileup occurs. Shayna, Dano, and Frankie are all killed by a speeding truck, but Kimberly is saved by Officer Burke at the last second. So those four friends that we all love so much from the beginning are smashed to bits within... I don't even know if this is the first 20 minutes. It might be within the first 10 minutes of the film. It is uh, incredibly quick that we we lose three people that we thought might actually be in this movie right 
Yeah, three people who we've been like establishing their characters up to this point. Exactly. It's it's like the joke. It's not meant as a joke, but it's like the joke in MacGruber where uh, he like spends the first spoiler for MacGruber. He spends the first uh, like twenty minutes of the film assembling like a team, like a superhero movie, right? And then they all just die in like a van explosion or something. <laughs> Yeah, when he that, finally yeah, gets them that's, all together. <laughs> that's oh, that movie is a that movie is an underrated gem. Uh, but, it's great. But I will say too that like this also subverts kind of subverts what we got in the first film, which kind of was a group of friends who all get preyed on by death, slowly getting picked off one by one. This is more of um, a disparate group of people who do not know each other, who all kind of have to end up working together towards the second act of the film. And I think that that is a more interesting take, right? Like the, the mom and her son, yeah. the pregnant woman, the deputy, the school teacher. Like these are all people who wouldn't have any reason to hang out otherwise. So the survivors are brought to the police station where they learn about the curse of Flight 180. Later, a chain reaction causes a fire at Evan. He's the lottery winner. His apartment, uh, which he barely escapes. Um, and this is the scene you were talking about where he gets his hands stuck yep. in the uh, in the garbage disposal as both his uh, stove and microwave are on fire. So many misdirects. Yeah. You can tell that they like heard about the like p- that people liked the Miss Luden scene and they were like, all right, we're going to we got to like drag these out as long as possible yeah. or at least have like a couple real long ones, which I like a lot. I do too. I kind of think it's the, God, oh, this is going to sound, uh, this is going to sound harsh, but I kind of think it's the only thing this film has going for it. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of right. Or these and films. And it is sort yeah. of like these moments, these like wacky death scenes, they're like intense at the time when the very idea of them is like very funny. Exactly. But they almost play with you in the same way as like um comet like comedy does in a way <laughs> like uh, yes like just all these like misdirects and just subverting your expectation and stuff like that it it works in like similar ways it's like similar mechanics i completely agree and while i did cringe at evan's death i do think a drunker me would have laughed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because i think he does slip on spaghetti <laughs> uh, and falls he falls back first into a bunch of uh a glass then of course the ladder falls doesn't quite hit him he gets a breath of fresh air before the ladder actually does fall completely uh stabbing him through the eye socket impaling him impaling his eye so uh he dead goodbye evan he dead and it's great because evan is like also probably the worst character of the whole thing he's like uh the asshole uh who's like screaming at the uh at Kimberly when she kind of uh veers off of the road making everyone stop for just a moment. Right. He, yeah. So we don't like Evan already. He's a good one to uh, pick off right off the bat. Officer Burke reaches the survivors flight one uh reaches the survivors of flight 180 and discovers that Alex Browning was killed by a falling brick. Kimberly hmm. visits Clear Rivers, the last survivor of Flight 180, who is now a voluntary Hell patient yeah. at the psychi- psychiatric ward. Uh, this was great. Uh, my girlfriend, who was watching the film with me at the time, uh, mentioned how much better Allie Larder looks in this film than she did in the first film. And I completely <laughs> agree. Even though she's supposed to look worse in the psychiatric ward, she just looks yeah. a lot better. Like, she did, like... 
Uh, I don't know what's going on with that hair in the first film, but uh, it's uh, they they had it all fixed up by number two. Her character somehow makes more sense in this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the way, Jeremy, two thousand three, the year of the track jacket. Oh, I I, I still like that look. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I, I did own a track jacket. Like, I went out of my way to own a track jacket one time in my life, and it was when I was in, like, seventh or eighth grade around this ti- the time this movie came out. Yeah. I, um... Let's see here. Clear refuses to help, but while arguing with Kimberly, she realizes that the survivors are dying in reverse and warns Kimberly to look out for signs of death. Upon returning home, Kimberly has a vision of a flock of pigeons attacking her, and she and Officer Burke rush to save Nora and Tim. But I guess, so I guess that is like that is them figuring out too that the people are dying in reverse, right? Like like them figuring out like sure. well who was it like in the vision who died when, um, and the pigeons are supposed to signify death, and that is cut kind of like intercut with the the dentist scene now eric you remember the dentist scene right i remember this scene almost too well (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, mainly because like why is the dentist when you're a dentist okay (laughs) you're like in charge of where your office is uh you're like it's your office and He's when the when the first pigeon hits the window, it's like he he acts as if this is something he's been dealing with for like years, and it's just like a, the bane of his existence that he can never get rid of this problem. <laughs> just move offices. Yeah, that it, it's uh, it's very crazy. This de- I mean, there's a, there's more stuff about this dentist that's weird too. Like, like the kid, um, is. Uh, not responding well to just like the normal cleaning or routine checkup or whatever. So the dentist just asks him like, do you want the laughing gas? Like he leaves it up to yeah. the kid who's not a legal adult to, yeah. if he <laughs> yeah. wants laughing gas. Uh, it's a very weird, it's a very weird scene. Also, we get this weird joke that um, uh, Tim makes to his mom before he goes in. He goes, if I, uh, if I'm, you know, if I, come out of there later with all la- with a bunch of laughing gas in me and my pants undone we're not paying oh yeah that was uh <laughs> weird <laughs> that yeah was very bizarre that is a uh, doctor who sexually assaults his patients joke there uh-huh. um but uh but the scene does play out kind of exactly how these other ones play out just at a dentist's office where these pigeons keep crashing into the window uh that leads um that leads uh, the dentist to kind of, um, he has to leave the room at some point because I think they actually crash, they crash through the other window, like the window outside the office while uh, Tim is all like done up with the dental gear. That's when a fish, like a dangling fish ornament falls into his mouth, almost suffocating him to death because he cannot breathe. That's when the nurse comes back into the room. She pulls the fit little fish uh, trinket out of his mouth and the appointment wraps up how it normally would in real life. So we get a bunch of misdirects and including the biggest misdirect at all that the death actually does not happen at the dentist's office. When Tim and his mom walk out of the office, they see uh, uh, Kimberly 
and uh, and the officer and the deputy uh, running towards them screaming. <laughs> like, like why? I don't know how why you would approach the situation like this, but uh, you know if. If I was involved in an accident with two other people I did not know and uh, did not and and those people did not know I was following them, I would not approach them by screaming and running in their direction. Uh, you know, I, I might even like I don't know get their phone cell phone information first, try to call them, uh, prepare them for my arrival. But no, they come screaming and running, and they and they and they specifically uh, mention the pigeons that are between them. There's a big flock of pigeons, just kind of you know, grazing around about in between them. Uh, of course, Tim, like a fucking asshole, runs and tries to scare all the pigeons away, which causes a construction worker to accidentally bump into the drop this giant glass frame from very high up right on top of Tim's head. And I got to say, this is one of the other really great deaths of the of the film. Do you agree with that? It's really good, and it's really... Uh I don't know, visceral. Yeah, it's <laughs> like gross. It's, it's really <laughs> fucked up. He yeah. folds in half. <laughs> like, that's how heavy this glass is. He folds in half, and then he himself, his body shatters by the weight of this thing. Uh, I got to say, Eric, that is a, one of my one of my top, like, I, probably my number one way I do not want to die, I've always said this, is being crushed slowly. Yeah, I mean that would probably be one of the one of the worst. I, I think suppose. it'd be one of the worst ways to go. Yeah. What do you think would be worse, Jeremy? Getting crushed uh, from top to bottom or getting crushed from side to side? Oh fuck! Probably side to uh, probably top to bottom would be worse. Listeners, we want to know how you <laughs> yeah. would like to be crushed. Uh, Top to bottom or side to side? Tweet at us, Chucky Rules 420. The worst would be like cement trucks slowly moving over you from feet to face. That would be the absolute yeah. worst. It, Austin Powers style. Yes, Austin Powers style. Um, so, um, ba 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 ba. Okay, upon returning home. Uh no 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 we're done with that. Clear decides to uh af- after after um after this scene, Clear decides to help and introduces Kimberly and Officer Book to none other than Tony Todd or William Bloodworth as he's known in the FD universe, which is of mm-hmm. course the Candyman himself. A great uh, triumphant return. I love his entrance in this. It's like he's uh, pushing a a stretcher out of hell, <laughs> out of the mouth of yeah, hell. Yeah. Um. He tells them that only a new life can defeat death. They believe that if Isabella has her baby, it will ruin death's plan and they will be safe. Again, much like the first film, they're just doing a lot of liberty taking with some of the information given to them by this guy. <laughs> like, I feel like he is the catalyst that springs forth a bunch of like them theorizing how they would beat death and having literally no evidence to support this right um but yeah anyways isabella is accused of driving a stolen van and taken into custody while the other survivors reunite for safety after nora is decapitated by malfunctioning elevator doors the group leaves to track down isabella who has gone into labor at the police station while the officer on duty rushes isabella to the hospital in her van. So they're kind of going towards the police station while Isabella's not even there anymore. She's going in a van to the hospital. 
Uh, Eric, any thoughts on any of this stuff? Anything about the Nora death? Uh, nah, not really. Honestly, <laughs> the two, the two death, like my two favorite deaths, have kind of already happened at this point. I know, uh, and that's what is kind of a bummer of this film. I, I do, I, I will say, is that like they kind of blow their. Gosh, I, all I'm thinking is like sex phrases, but they blow their wad very early. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, Eric. In this in this episode, it's nothing but sex phrases today. Coming, blowing wads. You were talking about a porno theater. This is a hot episode. You know what? Uh, I'm gonna have to rate this one. Uh, what are the podcast ratings? <laughs> uh, 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 not not s- explicit content. <laughs> yeah, explicit content. I think all of ours are actually explicit content. Uh, they are. Yeah. Uh, along the way, they realize that they have cheated death prior to the Route 23 incident, which is also again no- the number 23, right? Like that. Right. That is a tie-in to that. Due to the uh, due to the flight 180 survivors, which explains why death is working backwards. Since Officer Burke saved Kimberly from being hit by a truck earlier, she is last on death's list. The survivors' vehicle suffers a blowout prompting them to swerve onto a farm. The back of the car is penetrated by PVC pipes, which injure Eugene, and he is rushed to the hospital. The rescuers arrive at the scene. Brian Gibbons, the son of the farm owner, is nearly killed by a speeding news van, but Rory saves him at the last second. Using the jaws of life, Kat's rescuer accidentally activates the airbag and her head is impaled by a pipe protruding from her headrest. Yeah, this is insane. <laughs> this, one, this one freaked me out. Yeah, yeah. And Cat uh, Jennings is, of course, the businesswoman, right? No, Cat Jennings is from Two Broke Girls. I, no, Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Jennings, different uh, person. Yeah, no, yeah, about. she's the... Uh, wait, she's not the pregnant one? No, that's Isabella. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, um, her cigarette falls out of her hand and into a gasoline leak leading to the news van, causing the van to explode and sends a barbed wire fence flying through the air and killing the stoner. I thought that was a good one too. I like that kill. Yeah. I like, uh, his, for some reason, like that scene of him telling, uh, what's her face to like hide his drugs and porno <laughs> before he dies is like has stuck in my brain for a long time like i remembered that scene very well when i when i was watching this yeah well because you yourself were looking for a way to hide your drugs and porno sure yeah i was a teenager mm-hmm. yeah we all had drugs and porno i remember the first time i ever saw porno can we just tell this story real quick i uh, uh, yeah <laughs> i was uh i was skateboarding outside with a friend of my with two friends of mine one who lived right next to me and one who lived a couple houses down and uh, the one who lived a couple houses down he was like a rich he's like super rich only child and he skateboarded over to us and he pulled out of his back pocket a single picture of a lady spread eagle uh, no top God. on and it was printed out on printer paper <laughs> <laughs> so he just printed this out folded it all up and showed it to us and eric it changed my life i have since gone into the printing business i uh have stock in multiple printing companies i love paper in general i eat the stuff practically 
Sure, you invented the 3D printer. I'm a, I, from what I remember you telling me. That's right, I uh, did invent. So you 3D could printer, feel yeah. a quote, and this is a quote from you. Finally, feel a booby. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, Kimberly, Clear, and Officer Burke rush to the hospital, and Kimberly has another vision of Doctor Ellen Calargian strangling Isabella. After Burke immobilizes Dr. Kalarjian, they witness Isabella give birth and assume they've cheated death. What do you think about this whole this whole thing, Eric? Like this whole like the 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 doctor's going to strangle Isabella? I think the whole birth death thing is weird. <laughs> it like doesn't uh I don't I feel like it doesn't it didn't really matter to me. I kind of... That's not really why I watch these movies. Right. I almost wanted it to just be like a... Believe it or not, like, the simplicity of the first one sure. was, like, what I was more but, hoping... But, I mean, what did you think about, get? like, the whole... Like, they've been through so much as a, as a team together. Yet, another thing they have to deal with is this doctor... Like, what are the chances of this doctor is also a murderer? <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, can this group of people catch a break? I guess not when death is on your heels. Um, however, Kimberly has another vision of someone with bloody hands in a submerging van and realizes that Isabella was never meant to die in the pileup. Shit. I like that twist. That is a good twist. Yeah. Because um, we never do quite see her die, but... This this uh, submerging car and bloody hands is alluded to way earlier than this too. She's kind of having uh, visions of this this car submerging as early as one of the first deaths. So, Clear searches for Eugene, but accidentally causes his room to explode from an oxygen combustion, <laughs> killing yeah. them both. That's it for Allie Larder, ladies and gentlemen. Clear, you're dead. Kimberly realizes the person in her vision was herself. Yet another twist. And immerses a van and a lake to drown herself. Kimberly is rescued by Burke and resuscitated by the murder doctor, which was her actual premonition, thus granting her new life. Sometime later, Kimberly and Burke have a picnic with Brian's family and Kimberly's father to celebrate their survival. There, they learn of Brian's deterrence from death when his father tells them he was almost hit by a van, but Rory saved him. The group then see a malfunctioning barbecue grill explode, killing Brian. And that, my friends, is how Final Destination 2 do. That ending is you can see it coming from a mile away but it's really funny (laughs) it is funny and it is fun and i do like the i do like the the twist that rory saved him thus like throwing off the whole i don't know order of things i feel like they did that trick in the first one obviously which was like who has to die at what time based on who was saved by who? I mean, they definitely try to overcomplicate it. They do their best to try to make an easy, digestible narrative very complicated. But um, I don't know. Eric, what did you think of Final Destination 2? 
Um, <laughs> I like. I mean, it it kind of like does its job as a Final Destination movie, but it's maybe be, maybe in my memory it might also be my least favorite. I'm interested to see how it stacks up to uh, um, the other ones. Like after revisiting those too, but. I don't know. There's some definitely some like very memorable moments. I mean, the log scene is something that I remembered uh, like years and years later right. uh, and has like affected my life. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's fine. It just it seems like it kind of peaks like too early or something. And then it just gets a little like the deaths to kind of don't get as exciting or crazy for me uh which is sort of the main part of the movie that like people are watching it for uh the birth offsetting death thing is kind of uh i don't know i get that they were trying to do something else with the premise but it didn't really like matter to me i didn't really care for it um I don't know. It just seemed like a little anticlimactic, I guess. But overall, if I was sitting around watching this with like a bunch of people, um, just having a good time on a Friday night, I, we, we would have a blast. You know what I mean? Uh, like it's kind of a good mix of like bad nostalgia movie and like actual like some of this stuff still kind of holds up and like gets you get it gets you with the suspense a little bit still. Um, so I like this movie overall. I think if I was going to rate it, and what we, we were rating this out of... Uh, out of plane crashes. Play, <laughs> plane crashes. Uh, and in this situation, plane crashes are good. Um, so I would give this... Um, hmm. I would give this two full plane crashes and three wings on fire. Three wings on five. fire. Great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. You? I think I get the first Final Destination all five plane crashes out of five. Uh, this one I'm going to give a, a nice two and a half plane crashes out of five with uh, with one full big log on top of that. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah. So, I the, my take on this film is that it's sort of like a better looking, slightly more modern version of the first film it's got some great kills it's got some lame kills the first one kind of one every single kill is kind of great even including the sean william scott death which is like very just shocking and surprising um i kind of wish this film had a little bit more i don't know star power or something else to it like something to keep me i don't know going uh you know because i'm thinking about you know uh, so some some great sequels to films you know and what they did you know i'm I'm even including child's play 2 which sort of did the same the same similar plot as child's play 1 but it kind of upped the ante quite a bit and added some more characters and added some more i don't know some more flavor some more texture going on uh i kind of wish clear hadn't died in it it just feels like kind of a waste like why bring her back just to kill her in this one um and yeah uh you know more tony todd i understand he's probably not going to be in any more of these films but uh i liked him while we had him so yeah we get two and a half uh plane crashes out of five uh, including one big old log so i i think i think we're pretty much on the same so far we're 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 pretty much on the same 
page, I think, with, with every with both of these films so far. Me, you and I, Eric. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm kind of glad because I've seen all these movies and you haven't. Uh, you've only seen the first one. Um, so, so yeah. So, I'm excited. I'm really excited for, for part three. I'm not going to say whether it's, like, good or bad, but it is... Uh, it's one that I'm looking forward to, like rewatching. Oh yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. And there's and I, another scene. I'm also I wanna, excited Jeremy, about. I'm I also excited about to... the later ones too, like the like the the most recent one. Like I, I wonder what a 2009 Final Destination would be like, you know, or even a uh, I don't know what the when was the last film. I want 2000. Uh, uh, 2013. 2011 was Final Destination Five. So I think that was okay. the last one. So that, yeah, fuck, eight years ago now. But still, you know, that's 10 years from the first film. So I, I, you know, I can't wait to see what a more modern version of this film looks like. Anyways, Eric, you were about to say something. Yeah, okay, and uh, in 2020, look out for mine and Jeremy's uh, directorial debut, um, Freddy vs. Jason vs. Chucky vs. the Leprechaun vs. Gremlins versus fate <laughs> yeah absolutely uh eric anything else you want to mention about uh final decision two before we we close the book on this one so to speak uh no no um what do you call the end of a book an epilogue an epilogue I got no epilogue well, folks, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at ChuckyRules420. Uh, also, please subscribe to our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. For all of the Eric and Jeremy goodness you've come to depend on, we will continue doing bonus episodes in the same vein of Final Destination uh, and, uh, and other Toys to Life type stuff. Anything we've covered before, I feel like is always going to be fair game to go back and revisit in a... Uh, in a patreon episode uh do you agree with that eric yes and who knows i might go around uh, meander around chicago this weekend and try and find some of the some of the child's play sites i'll take a ride on the l train with a with a creepy doll i love it um i love that. maybe take some pics take your take uh, your blu-ray box set with you <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll bury it at the site of where he killed the uh, charles lee ray killed that burn that house down perfect perfect i love it uh great well um yeah uh, anyways guys keep chucking keep uh keep chucking along keep uh keep uh you know keep riding in cars keep riding in planes uh you know i i think one lesson we've had to we've we've learned from final destination is um you know you can't cheat death eric uh that grand mistress will come for you one day as she comes for all of us and uh I feel like just running from it makes it a whole lot worse. So if you feel like you're about to die, lean into it. Um, Jeremy, <laughs> I just have one uh, one thing left to do. And, and we, we like to end these, end these episodes with a quote, just like a very um, profound quote from whichever movie we just watched. So I'm going to do one from uh, Final Destination 2. Um, so if you'll just give me a, a moment. Um, okay, right. here we go. Condoms, whips, chains. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>